Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you. As we continue to worship this morning, I would ask that you turn uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, as we, um, over the next several months, we'll be going into the Sermon on the Mount series and looking uh, at what we're calling the grace agenda to see how uh, the kingdom of Christ is um, transforming uh, his people personally and in families and in communities, but also has an agenda to impact the world and culture around us. And so we're in chapter four today, um, and we're going to be looking at the uh, temptation of Christ. So as we uh, go there, let me pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, a time to gather with your people as your people, Lord, to sing praises to you and to sing gospel truths over one another. Uh, God, we ask that this morning your spirit would stir us up, our minds' attention and hearts' affection to you, God, that you would uh, shape us to be more like your son, Jesus. God, that you would draw us to you in grace and in repentance, and God, that you would shape us and empower us to go out into the world where you've placed us uh, to be agents of your grace and change, carrying the good news of Jesus by your spirit. Lord, we ask that you do these things for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel of Christ would advance to the nations. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nathali. And that that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nathali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, a shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is God's word for us. Friends, Jesus wins the victory over Satan, sin, and death. And by his grace, this victory is ours in Christ. Last week when we were looking in John chapter 3, we saw the call of repentance from John the Baptist. He was saying, repent The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, as he enters into his ministry in chapter 4, says the exact same call of grace. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We looked at repentance as the call of grace in light of the coming king. Repentance is done not in fear and shame, but rather in joy and hope. 
Repentance means to have a change of mind, a change of heart. It's a change in motivation, which is now expressed in a change of behavior because of the arrival of our coming king. So last week we looked at repentance, and this week we're going to see what temptation is and how repentance and temptation play into the coming grace of Christ and his kingdom. So we talk about temptation, maybe uh, if you have been a part of any church at any given time or have some uh, journey of faith, you maybe have talked about temptation and maybe ways to fight temptation. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, a big movement at the church of, of uh, true love waits and you know uh, this um, way for uh, people to battle lust and to stay pure before marriage. And I remember uh, one little tactic that somebody suggested is you put a rubber band around your wrist and anytime you're tempted to lust, you pop the rubber band. Did that happen to anybody or was that just, <laughs> was that just the church I went to? I remember as a teenager thinking, man, you know, my wrist hurts. <laughs> I'm going through puberty and this is just very unfair. Now, I'm not knocking on that tactic well, I am a little, and that was over 20 years ago for me, 25 years ago probably. And I would just say this, there's something very unhealthy about the ways we try to battle temptation. I mean, I think we have a misunderstanding of the way temptation plays into our journey of faith and the way temptation, God uses temptation to um, encourage us in our identity in Christ. Because at the end of the day, as a teenager, if I'm putting my faith and trust in a rubber band, it's very flimsy faith. If I am putting faith and trust and the confidence I have as a person to resist temptation because of the, the pain I feel on my wrist, there's just something not very gospel about that. And so I was reading this passage this week and, and having that scary memory from that long time ago era of popping my arm with a rubber band and just saying, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. And when I was looking at what temptation means and seeing how Jesus faced temptation in chapter 4, I see that temptation, by definition, means to be tested, to be proved, to be disciplined. And we see in this passage of Scripture that temptation is God-ordained, but not God-inflicted. It's God-ordained, but not God-inflicted. Look at the very first verse of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who led Jesus to the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. God's Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of temptation. It is a God-ordained event to face temptation. But temptation is not God-inflicted. The devil was the one inflicting the temptation on Jesus. But the thing that's amazing is none of that is outside the scope of God. In fact, God uses that in his plan and purpose to show off his glory and to advance the gospel. You see, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And we see the temptation that Jesus faced. The, the devil was tempting Jesus in the issue of power and, and questioning his purpose and questioning who he would worship. And so I want us to pause for a moment and ask yourself, what are the common temptations you face? Maybe it's power. Maybe it's worship. Maybe it's temptation to sin in the areas of of lust or greed. Maybe it's 
the temptation to misuse your power and influence for selfish gain. Maybe it's the temptation to uh, misdirect the purpose that God has for you. Maybe you are tempted to worship someone or something else other than God. What is it that tempts you? Because what I want us to see today is that temptation can be God-ordained, but not God-inflicted. And temptation is a way for us to be tested, proved, and disciplined. And the result of temptation could be something that really shows off God's glory and really brings us joy as his people and really advances the gospel of Jesus. If we do not face temptation, there's not that opportunity for those things to happen. See, the problem is not temptation the pro- because that's God-ordained. It's not, a, it's not a problem. Temptation's not a problem. It's God-ordained. The problem is the direction and the outcome of temptation. That's where the problem lies. The, the problem is the direction of our temptation and, and where we go when we're tempted. If you are tempted to do some sort of sin and you run to a rubber band, or you run to some tactic that has no gospel in it, if you run to some person or some thing that is not Jesus, that's a failure. I would even go so far to say is if you were able to resist temptation, you say, well, you know, I was tempted to steal, but I didn't steal, and Jesus was not in it, you still fail. You fail temptation if you have victory over the temptation and Christ isn't in it. Good for you that you didn't steal. I didn't steal today either. But if Christ is not in it, we still fail and temptation. See, the point of temptation, since it is God-ordained, is that we would run to Christ and have the opportunity to repent, to have our motivations, our character, our mind, our behavior all be Christ-word so that God gets the glory, we get the joy, and the gospel advances. The temptation is not the issue. It's the direction and the outcome of the temptation. Where do we go? So I want to ask you this morning those couple of questions. One, how are you tempted? What's tempting you? And number two, how do you respond when you were tempted? Because if you respond, even in a good way, if Christ isn't in it, it's a failure. And we miss out on the grace. So here's what we're going to do today. First, I want us to see that we have victory over temptation in the identity of Christ, which is where we find our identity. This is such a crucial important point. This is what has changed uh, my life as a Christian over the years to get rid of silly little rubber band tactics for moralism and to, to embrace the gospel of grace that has embraced me. And that is to find our victory in the identity of Christ, which is where we find our identity. You see, the failure of temptation begins when we forget our identity. And that's exactly where Satan goes with Jesus. Did you notice that? The, the very first step in our failure of temptation begins when we forget who we are and whose we are and what the point is of our existence. You see, the devil even tempts Jesus this way. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. Here we are in chapter 4 of Matthew. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But look how the devil tempts him. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, if... If you are the son of God. You hear the doubt in there? 
I mean, Jesus is the son of God. That's his identity. That's who he is. And the devil says, if, if you're really the son of God. Temptation begins when we doubt our identity. It's when we forget our identity. And that's where Satan goes with Jesus. Satan knew who Jesus was. Satan knows that Jesus is indeed the son of God, yet he is trying to tempt Jesus by saying, if... If you're really the son of God. That's how the temptation starts in verse 3. It happens again in verse 6 when Satan says, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Verse 9. If you will fall down and worship me. Friends, if is a very dangerous word when it comes to temptation. In fact, I think that is where we first find our failure in temptation is when we forget our identity, when we doubt our identity. And and how many times do you find yourself tempted and you say, well, if I had more money, then I'd be happier. If I had this relationship, then I would feel more secure, if I had this kind of status in my job and in society, then I would feel more important. If, then. That's temptation. And if we forget that our identity is rooted in Christ, we will fail in temptation. If. You see, The devil went after Jesus at the core of his identity, doubting if you really are the Son of God. And we see this happens at the very beginning of the Bible. This is the theme of redemptive history. You see in Genesis chapter 1 that God creates everything out of nothing, and he creates the first man and first woman in the image of God for his purpose. You see that, that God says this is man and woman, male and female, created in my image, in the image of God, Adam and Eve were created. They were created with an image and a purpose to uh, be fruitful and multiply, to cultivate the earth. They had a purpose that was an expression of their identity in God as image bearers. But in chapter 3, you see Satan comes on the scene and sows doubts and says, "If, if, if that's really the case... Why, why shouldn't you? I mean, if you're really created in the image of God, if you're really having this kind of purpose, why not taste that fruit? I mean, if, if this is the case, you should really go over there and, and disobey God. I mean, if, if you were really created in that way, you should have the knowledge that God has and go eat from the tree over there. If you know the Bible story, you know that Adam failed And ever since then, mankind has been identified by sin. You see, sin has marred humanity ever since. All throughout biblical history, time and time again, God's people rebelled when they doubted who they were and what they were to be doing. We see in the Exodus story, God sets them free, and for 40 years they travel in the wilderness doubting God's good intention for them, doubting that they are indeed God's children, doubting that they are going to be the physical kingdom of God on earth, doubting that God is their king ruling over them. They doubted their identity, they doubted their purpose, and rebelled time and time again. 
But here's what's wonderful. In chapter 4, we see Jesus setting foot on the scene as the Son of God. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The devil tempts him by saying, if you're really the Son of God, and Jesus combats him. And you see that Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was tempted in every way, but did not sin. You see, so Adam and Eve were tempted. They sinned. That sin manifests throughout human history. And then Jesus sets foot on the scene, combating sin, combating Satan, combating temptation. And the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Hebrews chapter 4 really solidifies what we are to do when faced with temptation. We have victory in the identity of Christ. That's where we find our true identity. And so, friends, when you were tempted, don't snap a rubber band. Don't set fire to your secular records. Don't hit your computer with a sledgehammer. Run to Christ, who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. We have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. (laughs) That's good news, right? It's nothing about rubber bands in there. Run to Christ where we find grace and mercy and help in time of need because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We find our identity in His identity. We find our victory in His victory. Jesus wins. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, that's good. Good news. See, temptation confirms our identity and purpose when we lean on Jesus. So friends, if you are tempted and you don't lean on Jesus, I don't care if it looks like a success. If you're not leaning on Jesus, it's not a success. If you walk outside and say, I'm tempted to rob a bank, but thank goodness I didn't. I had that rubber band. We weren't leaning on Jesus. Don't rob a bank leaning on Jesus. I'm not saying that. If you do, tithe. Just kidding. (laughs) Whoa. That is a joke. Do not do that. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? (laughs) Don't do that. If one of you guys, man, (laughs) if somebody goes and robs a bank today, I will disavow any knowledge of this conversation. Friends, at the end of the day, we are to lean on Jesus because we find victory over temptation in the identity of Christ, which is where we find our identity. Because in Christ, we're no longer defined by our sin, our failures. We are no longer defined even by the temptation. You may have a lifelong temptation with drugs and alcohol and sex. You may have a lifelong temptation to be uh, power-hungry or to be selfish and greedy. You may have a lifelong temptation to do those things. But friends, run to Christ, the throne of grace where we find mercy and help in our time of need. Because that is where the victory of temptation is. Not defined by our temptation, but by the Christ who gives us victory. Second point I want us to know is this, is we find victory not only in the identity of Christ, which is where we find our identity, but secondly, we find victory with the word of God. 
This is what's so cool. I love this story because have you noticed how Jesus combats Satan? I mean, first of all, I can't, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that Satan would even have the nerve to step before Jesus, the Son of God. I'm just like, dude, what a, what a moron, right? But look how Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, look how he combats Satan. Did you notice that Jesus like quotes Deuteronomy three times? He drops some old school gospel on Satan. See, Satan says, if this is your identity, then do this. If you really are the Son of God, then do this. In fact, Satan himself tries to twist and misuse Scripture. That's what he does. Satan will take God's word and try to twist it to fit something and to justify something. So Satan starts quoting the Bible And Jesus refutes him by dropping Deuteronomy on him in verse 4, in verse 7, in verse 10. There there are so many reasons why Jesus is dropping Deuteronomy here. There are so many reasons. This is just, this gets me so excited. I love it anytime there's like parallels between the Old Testament and New Testament. It's all the word of God that's done by God's design. As we see the story of the Old Testament and the story of the New Testament are connected. And you see here that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy intentionally on purpose. For one, because it is the word of God, because it is the law for God's people. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus here is not only the son of God and God incarnate, but he is also the perfect Jewish man. He is, he is living perfectly by the law that God had put in place. And so Jesus is dropping the truth of God in front of Satan. He is dropping the, the word of God. He is laying, literally laying down the law by quoting Deuteronomy. Also, we see there's a lot of parallels because if you know the story of Exodus, you see that God's people, Israel, were in the wilderness for 40 years. And where they were tempted, they failed. They doubted God. They were idolaters. They sinned profusely for 40 years in the wilderness. But you see, where they failed for 40 years, Jesus succeeded in 40 days. There's a reason why the number 40 is there. Jesus was the true and better Israel who was in the desert, tempted, and succeeded. Where Israel was in the desert and failed, Jesus is the new Israel in the desert and has victory. And this is such good news. And Jesus is dropping Deuteronomy right and left so that Satan could cower and fail at his task and Jesus could have victory. He's dropping Deuteronomy so we can hear in this day and age, look and see how Jesus is the new and better Israel and has using God's word, God's law to refute Satan and battle temptation. And so friends, that's what I want us to know is that when we find victory over temptation, it's because we find our victory in the identity of Christ, which is where we find our identity. And secondly, we find victory over temptation with the word of God. That's how, that's how Jesus combated Satan. I think it's probably a good idea for us to do the same thing, right? We can follow suit. And so when you're tempted, often we think, well, I don't want to face the consequence of robbing the bank, so I just won't rob the bank. Meanwhile, your heart really wants to rob the bank. See, Rather, we should say, God's word says, thou shalt not covet. God's word says, thou shalt not steal. And not that we find our success, our security in the success of following the law, but rather the success that Jesus had in following the law and saying, Jesus, thank you for achieving 
the rightness that the law laid down on my behalf. I did something very important Friday night with my children. My wife's not in here, so I can share this story. She's going to be so embarrassed. It has been, uh, we have an eight-year-old as our oldest, and I realized something Friday, that my kids had never seen the movie Labyrinth. You know the movie I'm talking about? If you do not know the movie, buy it. It's probably five bucks at Walmart, DVD. It's a very important movie. And I realized a couple things. Number one, that my kids had never seen it. Number two, that I right now am the same age that David Bowie was when he played the Goblin King. (laughs) And so my wife would not let me wear my Goblin King outfit today. But we were watching this movie Friday night. My kids just, my kids loved it. I thought, I mean, they were like, the music was weird. I'm like, it's 1986, man. The music is awesome. But if, you, if you're familiar with the story, it's a girl named Sarah who has to go through this labyrinth and all these tests and trials. She's pursuing, you know, the Goblin King who had taken her younger brother, and she's going to rescue him. And so she has to go through all this stuff and face all these trials, and it's, you know, a great epic story, and our kids loved it. They watched it again last night. It's the best $5 DVD ever. But there's one scene, I'm going to spoil the end for you here, there's one scene toward the end where Sarah, the, the protagonist of the film, is, is facing the Goblin King, played by David Bowie, and he is tempting her, saying, Sarah, I can give you all of this stuff. I can give you your dreams, anything you've ever wanted. I can give you. Just listen to me. Just follow me. Just bow down and worship me, and I will be your slave, is what he says. It's really a beautiful portrait of what temptation is. Next time you're tempted, think of David Bowie <laughs> tempting you, saying, I can, give, I can give you your dreams, everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever hoped for, I can give you. And if you know the movie, she says the epic line, you have no power over me. And everything shatters. That's the victory. You have no power over me. And so, friends, I was watching that movie thinking that's exactly what is going on in this story. It's exactly the story we face when we are tempted, saying, if I had that, I would be happier. If I had that thing, I would be more successful. If I had this relationship or this status, I would feel more important. I would feel more secure. And we find ourselves saying, I just want to buy into that lie because that lie is telling me that I can have all of my dreams with no Jesus. And friends, what we need to do is remember that our identity is in Christ. And secondly, that we have victory over temptation, which is, which is the word of God. And that is when we are tempted, we grab it and say, you have no power over me. That's what scripture tells us. That Satan, sin, and death have no power over us in Christ. Period. So when you are facing doubt, just say, you have no power over me. Doubt, you have no power over me. Sin, you have no power over me. Satan, You have no power over me. God's word says that you have no power over me. I have been adopted through Christ by a father in heaven who loves me. I am a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. I am a victor. You have no power over me. Here at Redemption Church, we try to undergird that truth by preaching the gospel Every Sunday from God's word, we, we have our missional community centered around scripture and living out these gospel rhythms. We have DNA groups. We have relationships and friendships. Everything is to apply the word of God to our lives personally and in relationships and practically through the communities in which we live. Because we fight temptation 
by finding our identity in Christ. And secondly, we have victory with the word of God. And thirdly and lastly, this is an important point. It's short, but it's important. Look what happens. After Jesus combats Satan for 40 days in the wilderness by dropping Deuteronomy and quoting the Old Testament scriptures, we see that later afterwards, the gospel writer Matthew drops some Isaiah in there just to say, hey, just in case you as a reader don't know that Jesus really is the Son of God and he is the prophecy of God's people fulfilled here, he drops some Isaiah in there. And look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same phrase that John the Baptist said in chapter 3. See, this is so cool, man. The Bible, man, the Bible is so cool. Chapter 3 has John the Baptist in the wilderness preaching, repent, in the wilderness preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Chapter 4 has Jesus coming out of the wilderness preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So cool. I think it's cool. From that time, Jesus began to preach. That means he, he began and he kept on preaching all the way through his earthly ministry. Jesus began to preach. Preach means to proclaim good news. This is what's cool is Jesus is dropping the law on Satan in temptation and he's dropping the gospel of grace on everybody else. That's what preach means to proclaim good news. I mean, Deuteronomy is good news. The gospels are good news. Jesus comes out proclaiming the good news of repentance because the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is at hand. So friends, this is what we need to see is first, is that our victory over temptation is found in the identity of Christ, where we find our identity. Second, we have victory over temptation. It's found, our victory is found with the word of God. That's how Jesus combated temptation, was with the word of God. We find victory with the word of God. And thirdly, we find victory in what is proclaimed, and that is the good news of Christ's coming kingdom. It's the ongoing gospel proclamation through evangelism and discipleship. That's what happens. We're going to see next week, we we actually have a guest pastor, a friend of mine, many of you guys know, Mitch Schultz, will be here, and he'll actually be preaching the next set of verses here about when, to continue the story here, of when Jesus calls his first disciples. That's exactly what happens in verse 18. I'm stepping on to Mitch's sermon here. Verse 18 is Jesus starts calling the first disciples. Verse 17, he proclaims the gospel, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18, he starts calling disciples, saying the kingdom's here, dropping the gospel of grace. Everybody come over here. Follow me. So friends, that is what victory in Christ looks like. It's about identity, it's about the word of God, and it's about proclaiming the good news of Christ's kingdom. I'll close by saying this. I asked you before, what what are you tempted with? What is tempting you? What temptations do you face? Be honest about those. Temptation is part of your journey as a disciple. If you're like, well, I'm never tempted. Well, I don't know if you're a disciple then because Jesus himself was tempted. So if you're not tempted, either you're just all in sin that you don't even have to be tempted anymore or you're lying to yourself, which is a sin. So there. So be honest. What is tempting you? How are you tempted? Confess that to your uh, 
friends that you have a close relationship with, if you're married with your spouse, if there's close uh, men, if there's close men in your lives, or women, if you have a close friendship with a woman in your life that you can f- confess sin and, and temptation, be honest with it. And then how are you battling it? Because I, I'm willing to bet, because this is, this is my story and I'm, it's a common story, I'm willing to bet that most of us in this room are trying to battle temptation and battle sin apart from the victory we really have in Christ. We're trying to battle it with other techniques and tactics because we're afraid to talk about it with people. We're like, I don't want anybody to know about my temptation. I'm embarrassed. And so we don't want to confess it to a brother and sister in Christ who could therefore help apply the word of God to your life and remind you of the identity that yours in Christ. What we need victory is in the proclamation of the gospel. Somebody has to proclaim that gospel to you. So, so risk going there with somebody close and say, look, I just need to be honest with you. I've really been facing the temptation lately on this issue. Can you proclaim the gospel to me? And that's what Jesus did. He, he had victory, and then he came out and proclaimed that victory in verse 17. I, I love it when my friends will go there with me. The, the elders of this church have done so recently. They, they did so over the course of my sabbatical. I, I had lunch with one of our elders during my sabbatical. Here I am like, I'm having a sabbatical. I'm feeling close to Jesus. And he said, hey, I just want to remind you of something. And he, he proclaimed the gospel to me over some Thai food. <laughs> he just said, look, I just want to remind you about your identity in Christ. Awesome. Thank you. I, I could not have had that insight to my own life i needed a brother in christ to do what jesus did and to proclaim the gospel truth to my life so friends be honest about what temptations you were facing secondly be honest about the unsuccessful ways that you were trying to battle them if christ is not in it and you're just like look i just i keep popping my rubber band i keep burning my secular cds i keep man just be honest and say look i just i really need help battling this temptation i need a brother and sister in christ to proclaim the victory that I have in Jesus, the identity that I have, the word of God that is here, and the proclamation that is ongoing. And it's a call for all of us to repent and believe the gospel. Because that's good news for us. So we're going to have a chance to respond to these things now. And I would invite you, as the worship team will come back up, you can stand and sing along, or you can sit, kneel, or... um, Sing or reflect quietly if you need to and, and let this sink in and ask God's Holy Spirit to stir up your heart and your mind to repentance, to belief in the gospel um, because this is, this is why we exist. This is what we're here for. Um, there'll be a few ways that you can respond uh, in light of that. We have a giving basket in the back. We'll have communion servers up here. You can come and partake in communion where we rip off the bread that represents the body of Christ and we dip it in the wine or the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. This is a way for us to remember who Christ is and what he's done. It's a way for us to remember who we are in light of that. And um, it's a way for us to proclaim that truth over one another. So it's an act of worship and it's an act of proclamation of the gospel over one another. Also, and so if you want to participate in that, we invite you all to come down the middle aisle here and then kind of fan out that way. Also, we will have people available uh, to pray with you. If you uh, need someone to pray, if there's someone here that you don't, you, know, you don't have someone here to pray with you, or if you're more comfortable praying with uh, one of our elders, I know Reggie will be here in the back. I'll stand in the back as well if you want somebody to pray with you over a certain thing or help you get connected in some way so that you can have uh, support in battling temptation. Uh, that's, that's what we're here for. And um, so please let us know. Let me pray as we prepare for this um, time. Father God, we do thank you. 
God, for your goodness, and thank you for an opportunity to celebrate your truths over one another. God, I thank you that we do have victory in Christ, and Lord, I pray that you would humble us all. God, humble us from our pride and uh, quiet our fears when it comes to temptation, Lord, that we would uh, face it not as um, those who find our identity in our sin, nor those who find our identity pridefully in the victory that we think we have secured on our own. But God, I pray that you would humble us and let us see that in Christ, uh, we are new creations, that we are no longer defined as those who are um, death-bound in sin as we were through the time of Adam, but God, that we would see ourselves as those who have victory in Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would um, bring to mind areas where we need to repent and God, that we would be honest to confess this sin to you and to one another. And God, that we would be quick to receive the grace that you give us in Christ, the victory we have uh, and the identity that is ours in Christ, the victory that is proclaimed through the word of God and that we can proclaim over one another. So Lord, I pray that during this time you would uh, start to do that work in us and continue that work through us for your, your glory and our joy and for the advancement of the gospel. We thank you in Christ's name.